are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Next Sunday is July 3rd, and it begins uh, five weeks of us worshiping together. So make sure that you make a note on your phone now that next Sunday morning, worship service starts at 1030 for everybody. So for five weeks, we'll be all together. Here's the deal. God is breathing new life into us, and I'm very excited about it. And God has given us clear direction as a church. And starting in July, I will take all those five weeks to talk about our future together. And I don't want you to miss any of them. I know that some of you travel in July for family vacation, but make sure if you're not out of town that you are here. And it's really neat because we all get to be together. The room will be full and we'll just have a great time worshiping with everyone. So starting next week, worship is at 1030 and classes begin at 930. So we've been in a series called For the Love of Money, and we've been talking about money here for a few weeks out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. So today, what Timothy does, Paul does, is he challenges Timothy to address people who are rich. So I know this is kind of difficult, but uh, do we have any rich people in the room? You'd just be willing to raise your hand so we'll know exactly who we're dealing with. We got one, two, three. We got, we got a few. Here's the deal. I almost hate to go through this, but you have to do it because if you don't do it, then what happens is that, that as you listen to a sermon like this, you tend to think about people who have more than you. And you begin to say, you know, that sermon is really for them because they have so much more than I have. Bottom line is right here though. If you're part of a family whose annual household income is $32,000. You are in the top 1%. Your house brings home more money than 99% of the houses in the world. The top 1%. You may say, I don't bring home that much. I make minimum wage. I bring home about $17,000 a year. Then you're in the top 5%. 95% of the people in the world bring home less money than you do. And so here's the deal. We're all rich. Everybody in the room is rich. I doubt if there's a poor person among us. And so here's what Paul says to Timothy, to the people there in Ephesus in that church. I want you to warn the people who are rich to not put their hope in wealth, in riches. So I'm going to do my best to scan the crowd, and I want you to look at me. Angel, you got me right here. You locked in? All right. I'm working my way around. You with me, Gary? Okay. Everybody's looking? All right. So here's the deal. I've said that like six times, and I'll quit saying it. Okay. Here's the deal. Do you think, do you think that you have some of your hope in money? Alex, do you think? Do you think you have some of your hope in money? I know as a follower of Jesus, Pastor, I should put all of my hope in God. But if I'm going to be really honest this morning about this, Jay, what do you think? Is any of your hope in money? So grab a Bible with me and let's see what God teaches us about ourselves and about life through His Word, okay? We're going to go to 1 Timothy. We're going to start in chapter 6 and we're going to be in verse 17. And I'm only reading three verses. And in these three verses... We hear the word rich four times, okay? 
So here's what's going on. Paul is writing a letter to an individual. Most of his letters he wrote to churches. This one, not so. He writes to Timothy. But he writes about how life functions within the church. And so it's applicable for us. So here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world. Now he's talking about money, okay? He's talking about material possessions. He's talking about stuff. Command people who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. So don't be haughty. Don't look at yourself because you have more money and think you're better than somebody else and not to put their hope in wealth. So if that's the bottom line this morning, if we are supposed to not put our hope in wealth, what is the reason for that? And here's what he says, because it is so uncertain. Money comes, money goes. So what if we're not doing that? What are we supposed to do? And he says, but put your hope in God who richly, there's a play on words there, provides with us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. So not only to put your hope in God, but be rich in good deeds, do good things, and be generous and willing to share. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and be willing to share. Now, why would I buy into that way of thinking? And here he gives us the reason. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is God's Word for us today. We agree? Agree. Um... When I was a seminary student, Annette and I attended a church in Kansas City. And I remember they said, uh, on Sunday nights, we're going to show a, a video series. And that wasn't very common in those days, to have video series about things. Video was kind of a new thing. And it's James Dobson's Turn Your Heart Toward Home. Anybody my age in the room who kind of remembers some of that stuff? I got a few of you. And so I remember one, one night we're sitting in church and we're listening to James Dobson speak on this video series. And he tells a story about his kids coming home. And, and they discovered this game that they had never played before. And the game was a game that was an old game to him. It was called Monopoly. Uh, I don't know if people still play Monopoly today, but at one time it was a great game. Got a few of you Monopoly fans. And he says, so my kids come in and say, hey, we found this great game. We want, we want to play it as a family. And so he says, we sit down at the kitchen table and we start playing this game Monopoly. And he says, it was going my way like crazy. And I was getting rich and I was becoming a great landowner and hotel owner. And I had money everywhere. In fact, I started flaunting my money. He said, I had money behind my ears, had money sticking out my pockets, money sticking out my shoes. I'm just bragging about all my money. He's doing what Paul said, don't do. Don't be arrogant if you have money, right? But he said, that's what I was doing. And my kids were getting sick and tired of my attitude about winning. And finally, he said, the game is over and I have amassed so much wealth and I have won. And my whole family stands up and says, since you've been such a terrible sport, you put the game away, we're going to bed. So they all got up and walked out of the room. And there I am putting the game away. And he says, as I'm putting the game away, something happened inside of me. I had this empty feeling come over me. This just sense of emptiness. 
And I felt like it was more than just the fact that I'd been a bad sport. And I felt like in that moment, God said to me, James, if you will listen to me, I will teach you a lesson. And he said, I did my best to listen. And it seemed to me that God was saying to me, James, that's how life is. You work and you build and you gain and you acquire and you amass whatever you can amass. And you just keep getting the stuff and the money and the dollars and you keep growing your little wealth and you keep kind of growing whatever it is that you have and you keep building up and you you just say things like, I want to be comfortable, but you keep just gaining and growing and finally one day it all comes to an end, an abrupt end. And every bit of it goes back in the box. You don't take anything with you when you walk away from the table. It all stays here. It's the words of Paul last week when he said, You brought nothing into this world, and you're going to take nothing out when you leave. So what happens in this passage is that Paul builds on that idea. And here's what he says. You've got to listen. He says, not only do you not take anything with you when you go, any of this wealth, any of this money, any of these material possessions, but here's the deal. You can't even count on it while you're here in this earth. And the reason is because wealth is so uncertain. So I had a friend whose name was Ron, and Ron talked a lot about retirement. In fact, that's about all he talked about was retirement. And I understood he was in physically not great health, and he was wanting a break from work. And, and I remember one day saying to him, hey, Ron, did you retire? And he looked at me, and he kind of shrugged, and he says, no. And I said, but I thought you were going to retire like a, a year ago. And he said, I can't. He said, after the downtown of the stock, downturn rather of the stock market, everything changed for us, Rick, and I'm going to have to work a few more years. In fact, now it looks like I'm going to have to work quite a few more years. We had it all worked out. We thought I was going to be able to step away, but not after that. And so what Ron was saying was, I understand what Paul is saying. Wealth is uncertain. It comes and it goes, but you can't count on it. Tomorrow, something could happen to the economy in the United States of America, and it would change everything for many of us. You just can't put your trust or your hope there. It's not for sure. So, if Paul says, this is what you shouldn't do, and we understand, I should not do that, I should not put my hope in wealth, then what should I do? Can you give me instructions as far as to what I should do? And he says, yes, here's what you should do. You should put your hope in God. It's recognizing the difference between the permanent and the temporary. Money comes and goes. God does not. God always has been. He is and He always will be. God is eternal. God is permanent. God will never let you down. God is consistent. God is constant. God is always there. Don't put your money in something that is fleeting. Don't put your, your hope, rather, uh, in, in something like money that is fleeting. Don't, don't put your trust in something that will let you down. Put your trust in God. God is consistent. So what happens is that he kind of moves into this conversation about a role that God plays in our lives. So let's, let's talk about that some, okay? Um, 
one day, Jesus is with his disciples, and, and the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, um, could you do something for us? Could you teach us to pray like you pray? I mean, it's amazing. We don't really know how to pray like that. So if there's one thing that you could do for us that we would be very grateful for, it would be that you would teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray like you pray. And so Jesus teaches them to pray. And one of the instructions in the prayer is this. Here's the way you should pray. Give us today... Our daily bread. So you're serious. I think he was serious. So when I get up in the morning and I go to my place to pray, you're saying that I should say, Father in heaven, give me today daily bread. I think that's what he meant. But I mean, really? You think he really wants us to pray that? I really think he wants us to pray that. So here's the problem. Some of us are saying, if there is anything I don't need, it's more bread, right? I'm eating too much bread as it is. Maybe I should get up in the morning and pray, Lord, help me to eat less bread, right? Because I'm eating a lot of bread right now. Bread is really good stuff, isn't it, by the way? I think there's this other way of thinking that says, I, I, I'm really okay. I can earn money to make, you know, buy bread. It's okay. I don't want to get up in the morning and pray God to give me daily bread because I've got a good job. I'm making money. I can buy bread for my family. So I don't want to ask God for bread. I think I'm okay. And Jesus is saying, no, there's one thing that you really, really need. What's that? You need to get up in the morning and you need to ask God for daily bread because you need to be reminded every day that God provides your bread. You don't. And what Paul does here is he reminds us that God is our provider. God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, God provides. I don't provide. God provides. You don't provide. God provides. God is our provider. Everything that we have comes from the hand of God. I've, I've rediscovered something that I haven't had for years. And man, is it not incredible? And I've been buying these little boxes of them. Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody in the house? I got some, I got some believers in the room this morning. This is the most excited you've been in the whole sermon. I promise you right there. That was it. Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies. I love them. God provides Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies for me. Anything that I have, it comes from God's hand. I don't provide anything. God is my provider. You understand that if God says no more breathing, I don't breathe anymore. He gives me breath. Everything comes from the hand of God. Now here's the question. What is our relationship between God and the provisions, and ourselves. Those three entities, okay? We got God, we got me, we got provisions. And what is our relationship with those three entities? We uh, dedicated Eliza May a while ago. And I think about 28 years ago when we had a little baby born at our house. Her name was Brittany. Now you do the reveal. You don't 
you don't you don't just go around telling what your baby is going to be. You have the reveal. We didn't. We weren't that cool back then. We didn't know to do the reveal. Nobody had. We were walking in the light that we had at the time. Okay, we didn't know about the reveal part. And so when we found out that Brittany was a little girl, we just went around. T- She's going to be a girl. It's going to be a girl. Let me tell you something. Before Brittany Harvey came into the world, we prepared the world for Brittany Harvey. We were seminary students. We didn't have any money, but we were able to get a bassinet, a crib. We were able to get a changing table. We got all these things that we thought Brittany was going to need. We had diapers stacked up in the corner of the room. I mean, we were ready for Brittany. Before Brittany Harvey ever came into the world, the world was ready for Brittany Harvey. And if you can understand that, you can understand that before God created man, he prepared the world for man. I've got all of these things for your enjoyment. You can eat this stuff. You can eat this stuff. You can eat this stuff. I mean, all of this is for you. Before God ever brings man into the world, he prepares the world for man. And he's got all of these gifts ready for man. And so here, here's man. God on the inside of man and on the outside, a thousand gifts that God has showered upon him. But the idea was always that all of those things would be subservient to man. Man would never serve those things. But in our fallenness, those things begin to compete for first place in our hearts. And before long, those things begin to take the place of God. And all of the world is out of order because of that awful substitution that we have made. Possessions can be pretty negative. Is it possible to have many things and possess nothing? Is that possible? I've got all of this stuff, but it's it's not really mine, it's God's. He owns it all. Is it possible to have a lot of things and possess nothing? Yeah, all of this stuff here that you see, I'm caretaking all of this stuff. It all belongs to God. I'm like a steward. I'm a manager for Him. And, and I don't own any of it. God owns it all. It's all His. So, Paul says, whatever you do, Timothy, you tell these people who are rich in the church that you're attending there, you tell them that they cannot put their hope in wealth because it is fleeting. It's uncertain, but put their hope in God. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. God provides everything for them. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them to also make sure that they are rich in good deeds. It's a play on words. Be rich in good deeds. You want to be rich? Be rich in good deeds. Once in a while, I'll say to the staff, so what area are we really needing volunteers? Where do we need people to do some good deeds? Where do we need people to serve? And always the answer comes back. We need help in children's ministry. We need help in youth ministry. I mean, we just need people who will say, you know what? I want to be rich in good deeds. I'm not even talking about teaching a class. I'm talking about going into a classroom and helping a teacher who is already there. I could serve. Did you know there's enough people in this room this morning who could just step up and say, I'll serve some. I'll serve some in children's ministry and we could just eliminate the struggle. And if you want to take a comment card out and write your name on it and your phone number and just write, 
contact me about children's ministry. We will get a hold of you this week. Give it to an usher. Give it to me when the service is over. We really need some people who want to serve in children's ministry. Don't put your hope in wealth. It's uncertain. Put your hope in God. He's for sure. He's the one who provides for you anyway. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. It's, it's kind of the culmination of this last few weeks. So if we're not supposed to love money, what do you do with money? Paul says, well, you could just give some away. You could just be generous with your time and your money. You could just say, you know what, I'm going to live. I'm going to live generously with my life. When I think about being generous with money, I think there's two places where we are generous with money, two options of giving money away. I think the first option is people. I see a person and I give them money. I see people, I give the people money. I think the other place I give money is to an organization, an organization that is trying to accomplish something that I feel passionate about. Therefore, I give to that organization. There's about four organizations right now that Annette and I give to. Because we believe those organizations are trying to accomplish something that we are passionate about. One of those organizations we are more passionate about than the other organizations. And that is the church. We have more passion for what the church is trying to accomplish probably than any other organization that we give to. Because we believe that man's greatest need is a right relationship with God. And so as I read the Bible... And I don't mean just Old Testament, not just New Testament, but from start to finish. The Bible is consistent in calling me as a follower of Jesus to support the work of the kingdom of God with my financial means. I mean, I would challenge anybody, take the Bible on, read it. And after you read it, come back to me and tell me that you don't think the Bible is challenging you to support the work of the kingdom with financial means. It's all through the Bible. We're all on different journeys. I can't talk about your journey, but I can talk about mine. I grew up in a home where my family believed giving to organizations that they felt passionate about was very important. And the primary organization that they gave to also was the church. My dad said to me when I was a very young boy, When he gave me my first check, 10% of this is God's. The first 10% you give to God. You take to the church. You can give offerings if you want to beyond that. But 10% of it, it's called the tithe in the Old and New Testament. T-I-T-H-E, it means one-tenth. So when Annette and I got married, she was in the same mode. And so we just began immediately to give One-tenth of our money together as a tithe. We took it to the church we were attending, the local church. Every Sunday when I was a seminary student and we were making very little money, I earned $100 a week. And every Sunday I brought 10 bucks and I put it in the offering at the church. That was 10%. That was my tithe. And that and I have believed all these years that that is God's will for us. We've given offerings beyond our tithes. We've given to other organizations. We've given offerings in church to missions. We've given for many things. But we've always tried to protect that base, that 10%. We brought it here to the place that we worship.
What's your journey like? You know, one of the reasons we struggle to be generous. Okay. The reason we struggle to be generous is because we want more. That's it. You say, no, 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 wait, Rick, not at our house. The reason we struggle to be generous is because we have so much debt. Okay, the reason we have so much debt is because we wanted more. And the reason we want more is because our hope is in money and things. If I can somehow get more, then maybe we can be okay. That's the issue. That's why we struggle with generosity. It's because we want more. And the reason we want more is because our hope is in what money can do for us. That's the struggle. All right, so let's break it down. Don't put your hope in money, it's uncertain, it comes and goes. Put your hope in God. God does not come and go. He is for certain. Be rich in good deeds. Serve people. Be generous and willing to share. Give away. So you're looking at me probably, some of you saying, why should I buy into that way of thinking? See, I live in a, in a culture that teaches me the opposite of that. Uh, I live in a culture that says, get everything you can. Collect more and build more. In fact, build it up. Build it up really high if you can. Uh, I live in a culture that says, um, if you want to be happy, if you really want life, then you're going to need a lot more stuff than you have now. You're going to need more money than you have now. If you really want to live, if you want life, then you've got to have more. My culture just keeps saying one word to me, and the word it keeps saying over and over again is more. You need more, you need more, you need more. A group of millionaires were asked, how much money would it take for a person to be considered wealthy? And together they arrived at this number of 7.5 million. You're not really wealthy unless you have 7.5 million. Just more. You've got a million, you're going to need more. You got five million, that's not enough, you're going to need some more. The world that I'm in just says, it's going to take a little more. But in the kingdom of God, there's a totally different narrative. And in the kingdom of God, the narrative says, do you want a life? Do you want to live? Then you've got to start giving this stuff away. You've got to start letting go. And you've got to start serving and helping and blessing, and looking to others. And when you do that, you're going to find life. In the scripture that I read to you this morning, quote his words, life that is truly life. So confession time, okay? I had an opportunity recently to serve somewhere. And, and I remember walking into my office one day, and I looked at my wife, Annette, who worked with me, and I said, Mm-mm, I'm not going to do that. That is too much. Not, not going to do that. I got too much going. I'm too busy. Not not going to do it. I'll call them tomorrow and tell them I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to serve there. That's not what I'm going to do. 
So the next morning, I get up and I go to uh, my little chair that I love so much where that I, I do my morning devotions and I, and I pray. And I'm sitting there with my Bible in front of me and my phone and a devotional book and just being with the Lord. You know how good it is, right? And I want to talk to the Lord about a lot of things. But it just so happened that the only thing the Lord wanted to talk to me about was that opportunity to serve. That I had said, I'm not going to do it. And, and this thought came to my mind. Rick, let's just make a list of the places where you presently serve. Just giving of your time. But let's don't include the ones that you're paid to do. The next day I said, I think I should do this. I think this is a good opportunity for me to serve. Now here's the kicker. You ready? Okay. After I did that service act, I was more full of life than I've been for years. I'm trying to tell Annette about it, and I'm on my toes the whole time I'm trying to tell her about it, you know. And that it was awesome. I wish you could have been there. See, the world says, you want life? Then you got to get it all you can for yourself. You just, you collect more, you, 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 you protect your time and all that. You know, you just got to focus on you because if you want real life, I mean, you got to do some things for yourself. And the kingdom of God has this whole other message that says, you want to really live? You give it away. And you're going to find life like you've never found life before. See, I think we've got a problem in our society. And I think the problem that we have is that we have so much with the promise that it's going to bring us so much and it doesn't ever pay out. And we're confused and we're bored. And we've got time and we say, but I don't know what to do, you know. And there's all these restaurant choices and we can afford to eat at them, but none of them sound good to me anymore. And we've got a closet full of clothes and we don't want to put any of it on. And all of this stuff was supposed to pay off in big dividends and it's not paying off. I've got money, I've got time, I've got clothes, I've got rich food and none of it sounds good to me today. And sometimes I just want to say to myself, Rick Harvey, get up off that couch and go help somebody and go give something away. And you will live again. Amen? Oh, I was wanting a much bigger, brighter response than that. Thank you. It's true stuff. And it's not my stuff. It's here. And if they will, they will lay up for themselves a foundation for this coming age. But it's not a place you're sent to when you die. It's a place you've been going all along. And in the end, you simply arrive at your destination. It's a way of life. Okay. So you notice we didn't take an offering. 
in the earlier part of the service. So you know what's up now, right? It's offering time. I think it's a good response. So here's what I would say to you rich people. And to myself, who is very rich. I am a wealthy man. Give generously. For a work that is changing people's lives every day. So, you guys ready? Somebody singing? Ushers are going to come, and I'm going to pray before we sing, okay? So, Father, this morning, in Jesus' name, help us to renounce the thinking that our culture puts in front of us, And help us to grab hold of the values of the kingdom of God. And learn that life is found not in holding on, but in letting go. Help us to be rich in good deeds. And help us to be generous, I pray. Jesus' name. Amen. You have nothing to give that didn't first come from your hands. We have nothing to offer you which you did not provide. Every good, perfect gift comes from your kind and gracious heart. And all we do is give back to you what always has been yours. Would you sing this with me? Lord, we're breathing the breath that you gave us to breathe, to worship you, to worship you. And we're singing these songs
you stand with me and let's pray together? And the prayer that we're going to pray will be on the screen. Rich in our Wesleyan heritage is the covenant prayer of John Wesley. And I think it's a very appropriate prayer for us to pray in unison today. So let's look at the screen and let's pray this prayer together, okay? I am no longer my own, but yours. Put to me what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.